Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor. This is session number 48. 48 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And by golly, we're in Bree. And I am fully planning to make it to the Prancing Pony. Maybe we will even meet Butterbur tonight. Let's see uh, if we can, in fact, uh, get so far as that. Before we start, two quick announcements. Um, number one, uh, just a reminder that we have uh, the long-awaited fried chicken run coming up uh, in just over a week <clears throat> now. So next Saturday, the 17th of February, uh, I'm going to be doing a chicken run from Mickledelving to Mount Doom. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited because I've never seen Mordor before. So I'll be seeing, I'll be running through Athelion really for the first time. I got ported there once to uh, uh, to visit Hanethanun and explore around there a little bit. And I saw some things from a distance, of course, uh, you know, up uh, up top of Hanethanun where you can see uh, a bit of a ways. But that's really all I've done. I've never been to the Black Gate. I've never, uh, I've never certainly never been inside of Mordor yet. So I'm excited uh, to uh, to get to look around in the form of a chicken. I gotta interrupt. Yeah. You said this Saturday, and then you said the seventeenth. So I oh, I uh, yeah. So, actually, sorry. Well, Next Saturday, just over a week, about a week and a half from now, Saturday the seventeenth. Thank you for the clear. We want to we want to make sure there's no confusion. <laughs> That's right. 11 a.m. Eastern time is when we're going to start, uh, and we're going to meet up in Mickle Delving. Um, if people want to want to come and be involved, we're going to be on Landreval servers. So if you want to if you want to come, if you uh, if you have if you're free to roam, Middle Earth is a chicken. You could come and run as a chicken with us. If you uh, have especially a high level character that you want to run along with us and escort us and help to uh, keep all of the uh, all of the bad guys off of our frail little avian necks, then you would be that you would be welcome to do that as well. Uh, so uh, just to just to invite you to that, and of course we'll be streaming it here on the SignumU Twitch stream, Twitch.tv/SignumU. So you can just tune in and watch if you would like to uh, watch the, uh, the the landscape of Middle Earth go by uh, amidst uh, a crowd of chickens, which is always quite fun. So okay, so that is uh, that is. What that is the, so the first thing I mentioned this last week. Wanted to remind you all, and again to clarify because I confused it earlier. Next Saturday, that is Saturday week, the seventeenth of February, uh, starting at eleven a.m. Eastern time, is when we're gonna is where, when we're gonna be holding that. Now, one other quick announcement: uh, we are about to shift and begin a new Mythgard Academy class starting on Wednesday nights next week. We're off this week. Next week. We are beginning our, to discuss our way through another book, and it is time for the next volume in the history of The Lord of the Rings. We're going to be reading The War of the Ring, uh, the third volume of the history of The Lord of the Rings, the, what is it, ninth volume? I can't even remember. Yeah, I think it is the ninth volume um, of, um, or is the eighth volume? No. Yes. Eighth. Eighth volume. Sorry. The eighth volume of the History of Middle-Earth. We've been uh, studying our way all the way through the History of Middle-Earth series. Uh, cover to cover all the way through all 12 volumes is, I think, uh, what our goal and plan is going to be, uh, which is really kind of crazy, and I've never done that before, but I've learned so much in this process, and I am excited to get to the War of the Ring where we get through... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see Helm's Deep for the first time. We're gonna watch you know. And for those of you who who are unfamiliar with these books, um, the history of Middle Earth, of course, is sort of Christopher Tolkien's 
publication and, and, and commentary on the development of the whole material of Middle-earth as it developed in Tolkien's mind, from the early stuff in the Book of Lost Tales in the first couple volumes, on through some intermediate stages, and then, of course, the three volumes that we've been doing, this being the third, is where he's, he's showing the manuscript history of The Lord of the Rings as it emerged, um, which is f- absolutely fascinating. Uh, we did The Return of the Shadow, uh, we did The Treason of Isengard, and now we are doing the War of the Rings. So yeah, so we're going to see Helm's Deep emerge for the first time. Uh, we're going to track Frodo and Sam's uh, trip to Mordor for the first time, meet Shelob, and then we're going to also, uh, of course, get up to the Battle of Pelennor Field and everything as well. So that whole, that whole it's, it's going to be most of the stuff, not the very end. We're not going to get back and do the scouring of the Shire and that kind of thing. We're, uh, the, the, the volume ends before we get there, but we're going to get through the Gondor material. Um, so really, really, really good times. I have so much enjoyed doing the Return of the Shadow and the Treason of Isengard. Really uh, grateful for the opportunity to come back and complete uh, the series here. So again, that starts next week. Uh, the first session will be next Wednesday. It's going to take us a while. We're going to. We're, I, I have planned sixteen sessions to go through. Now I know from a, an exploring the the Lord of the Rings standpoint, we're we're, we're going to blaze through to do like a chapter or two a week. Um, so we go much faster, but we're not going to be hustling anyway. So, uh, no, Tarloni, I'll see. No, 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 no. 16, right? I- I'm very confident in the 16. Uh, I'm getting I'm getting more conservative in my scheduling for these. I, I-, I uh, Anyway, but no, 16, totally 16. Because, see, Tarlonio, if we do 16 sessions, then the final session will be the day before Mythmoot. So, like, I'll be doing my session on Wednesday night, and then I'll be, in the morning, I'll be getting in the car and driving down uh, to Mythmoot. Which would be an awesome way to sort of celebrate the end of the uh, the end of the, the 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 book. So that's totally the plan. I'm confident I'm going to stick to it. So I hope that you will join me again. Not tomorrow, starting next week, 10 p.m. Wednesdays. Uh, I I broadcast it on Twitch, uh, and of course we also have a go to webinar session um, uh, for uh, you know where we. Um, um, where we set oops sorry i just got a message from uh 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 tug mcgill who is uh setting up the web page for it and he pointed out to me that i numbered it wrong so it's actually 17 sessions okay 17 17 sessions is what in fact apparently i have i have mapped out it's all good uh so see tarlonia i'm I'm conservative right 17 sessions i'm sure we'll make it it's going to be awesome. All right, so those are our announcements tonight. Now, uh, tonight we are, uh, my hope, is to get to the Prancing Pony. We're going to look at the hobbits seeking refuge as they go into Bree. Of course, we were looking at how their entrance into Bree um, is already, to some extent, a, you know, the, seeking a kind of refuge, right? First from this, you know, they, they've, they've, they're back in civilization, right? They're back into a world which is more like the regular mundane world that they're used to. It's not, you know, they're not in the Shire anymore, um, but it's, it's, it's much more like their normal world, right? It's different and it's scary, but it's different and scary in like normal ways, right? Not different and scary in the way that the Barrow Downs in the Old Forest are different and scary uh, from the Shire. So, uh, and, you know, we talked some last time about uh, the way in which, uh, you know, this has come up actually the last couple times about how those three chapters in the middle serve as almost like a passing into fairy. Um, and we had a really great question uh, that came uh, uh, regarding that um, from Kyle Winiecki, who had a really, uh, some really great points to make about that. 
Um, and he was talking in, uh, in particular, this is extracted from a longer uh, post, which, by the way, if you're really long posts on the message board are really interesting, but of course it's really hard for me to fit them onto slides. Uh, so like the longer your post is, the more I have to like try to figure out which bits of it I want to extract to put in, which is fine, but just keep in mind, I'm less likely to do justice to the full argument that you make. Just saying. Anyway, okay. So, but Kai Winieke had a really good point. And his question was, um, we see, you know, as is common with mortals who go into fairy, uh, they are enchanted, right? That's one of the things that happens to mortals when they are in fairy. And uh, the question that he was asking is, what is the what is the appropriate response to enchantment? Like, what? How's it supposed to go? Like, what's supposed to happen? Uh, and he was looking at the 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 sort of the reactions to it. Um, so in particular, he was uh, focusing on the dream sequence, which I thought was really interesting. And he says, upon looking at the dream sequence with the four hobbits in the house of Tom Bombadil during their first evening, there was a specific sentence that jumped out. After seeing the experiences of the first three dreams of Frodo, then Merry, then Pippin, each of them has a dream where they are awoken due to some fear or misunderstanding they receive from their dreams. When we get one of the great Sam's, then we get one of the great Sam sentences in the Lord of the Rings. As far as he could remember, Sam slept through the night in deep content, if logs are contented. What stood out to me about this is that we see another character who seems to fall asleep contentedly when taken into enchantment, Tom Bombadil. When Tom is telling the Hobbit stories and tales, he seemingly nods off asleep. Even though the text doesn't doesn't specifically say, I think we have evidence that he's content in this moment, if indeed Tom Bombadil can be contented. This connection here between Sam and Tom strikes me as significant, and leads me to suspect that Sam indeed, out of many characters in The Lord of the Rings, experiences and responds to enchantment in an appropriate way, more than others. It also seems significant to me that in The Lord of the Rings, many of the times where the hobbits are taken into fairy, we get very little dialogue from Sam. I wonder if in part this is due to the fact that he is enchanted and is just contentedly taking things in and experiencing things as they are. And Kyle, I certainly agree that we sort of see that phenomenon uh, of Sam's contentment and comparative silence, right? Um, We've observed that, of course, with the House of Tom Bombadil. Uh, But, of course, we also see it um, in uh, uh, with uh, Gildor, right? Um, You know, Kyona, that was one of those instances of be of, you know, sort of coming into fairy and leaving it again um, that uh, that you mentioned over the course of the Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, and I think that that's a really good uh, that that that's a really good example, and you're very right that one of the things that we see from Sam is that he's just sort of sitting there quietly taking it in. We find out that he does have a conversation with the with the elves, but we never we don't see it happening, right? We just see him being uh, being being quiet. Um, but um, anyway, the uh, the I, I I think that your observation about contentment is really interesting, right? You know, it it is easy to pass off that final that 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 really cool Sam line, right? The uh, the business about about sleep and logs uh, as just kind of a joke, right? I mean, it sort of sounds like a punchline and it kind of works like a punchline, but I, I really like the fact that, you know, the, the, your emphasis on the contentment, which I agree is really important, especially if, of course, as you uh, and Kyle have pointed out, Frodo and Merry and Pippin are not just being fearful and anxious compared to contented, right? Well, I mean, that, that, that's true, but it's not just that. Right. Remember, it's, you know, the, 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 the thing that they keep remembering, right, when they wake up afraid, 
they hear the voice again, right? Telling them like, you know, nothing can pass door or window, right? Um, reminding them of what they've already been told, right? But which, at least in their sleep, they've sort of forgotten about or lost sight of, right? Sam doesn't. Right. Sam is the only one of the three that they are assured. Right. The hobbits are assured. Tom Bombadil assures them. Goldberry assures them that uh, they can rest quietly. Right. That everything's fine. Um, And it's only Sam that does it. Right. That like takes them at their word. And uh, um, uh, and uh, in that way does respond appropriately. Right. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, so I, I'm, I, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I certainly hadn't thought about the connection with Tom Bombadil's nodding off to sleep. We talked about that briefly, of course. And I, I didn't have a really good explanation for why Tom Bombadil falls asleep other than that. You know, we seem to be going backwards in time, and the moment at which he nods off seems to be the point where he gets to the, I don't like the time, like when he gets past the time of his own, you know, arrival in, in, in Arda, right? Um, but, um, but anyway, I, I think that it's, uh, um, interesting to think of that as, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that like nodding off to sleep isn't always necessarily associated with contentment, of course, but, you know, I think that that's, uh, it's still an interesting connection. I, I'd want to think a little bit more about it. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's pretty neat. And certainly contentment is, is, is clearly one of the, um, elements of Tom Bombadil, right? I mean, the very simplicity of his life and, the very repetitiveness and redundancy of his life. Um, the, you know, what is, what is the tendency to sing about the color of his own clothes, right? If not contentment with things as they are, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that was really, that, that was really cool, Kyle. Thanks for that. Um, let's, uh, to go with second question. So Dietelbaum uh, gave me an excuse to talk about Ranger Women. Uh, and he says, I think the passage East and West indicates that the Brie folk consider the Rangers to be a separate people, um, uh, an ethnicity or a race or a clan. The key phrase is they were taller and darker than the men of Brie. This is the type of description people in the narrator's milieu, pre-war English encyclopedists, would use to describe an ethnic group. And the description of the rangers as an ethnic group entails that the Brelanders consider the rangers a full society with women and children and some sort of economy. Perhaps the rangers occasionally set up camp outside Bree and provide services that Brelanders need from outside their isolated village. Are they traders at all? On another note, the main thing that sets the rangers apart to the Brelanders is their mobility. The Bree folk are conspicuously stationary, having not changed for seven millennia. Yeah, exactly. Nor have moved much from their. They don't travel much outside their. You know the uh, uh, their villages, right? Uh, so anyone who spends a lot of time traveling would strike them as odd. Maybe their reputation for strange powers of sight and hearing and understanding beasts and birds is an outgrowth of this. Quite possibly. Um, so, yeah, I. I, I Dietelbaum, you're kind of thinking along this same kind of lines uh, that I am there, in particular the East and West thing, right? Um, if to the Brelanders, rangers meant nothing other than occasionally a random solitary guy 
comes into town and he's different from us and we don't know where he's coming from or where he's going to. If that were their only connection with rangers, if that were their only association with rangers, why would they associate them with the East particularly, right? Wouldn't they be just as likely to be from the North or the South, right? Presumably, if they were just solitary wanderers, they would occasionally come in from those directions, wouldn't they? Um, but when, so the way that he says there's no accounting for East and West, right? To the West or the Hobbits, right? You go West, what are you going to find? Hobbits, Right. It make he makes it sound like you go east. What are you going to find? Rangers, right? Now we don't see any towns of rangers. We don't meet any groups of rangers, right? As they're traveling uh, east uh, from Bree. But again, like the 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 very fact that they're called rangers, right, does suggest that they're that they're mobile. And I agree with Dietlbaum that they they would uh, that the Breelanders who are very conspicuously immobile, right, in their culture, um, it's, does, it's not at all surprising that the, the word that they would call them, the, 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 the term that they would use, and not flatteringly, right, the, ter- the scornful term that they would use, um, rangers, uh, would, you know, be, seem to, to, to indicate um, the, uh, um, you know, would, would seem to indicate some kind of you know, uh, transitory or migratory culture, right? But I still think a culture, not necessarily just individual, um, uh, individual men and things. Um, last thing I wanted to say about ranger women. Um, one. Well, okay. Here's how I want to say this. I would want to issue a general caution against arguments from absence. Okay? Arguments from absence can be made, right? The text says nothing about this, therefore it's probably not there, right? Therefore it probably doesn't happen. Um, But arguments from absence are really weak. Uh, You can rarely be very confident in an argument from absence. So, for instance, the, the argument that says there are no female, like the, the women of the rangers don't wander around and travel, is only, can only be an argument from absence. We don't know that, right? Um, it is never positively stated uh, that that doesn't happen, right? That, so all you can say is that we never see an example of it. But indeed, we only ever see one example of a ranger acting in a rangerly fashion, right? And that's Aragorn in Bree. The other rangers that we meet, the other Dunedain that we meet, Halbered and company, um, aren't acting normal, right? They are in a war band headed south to find Aragorn and join him in the wars to the south, right? In the company of Eladon and Elrohir, there is... Uh, every indication that uh, the Grey Company, as it passes into the South, is not acting like a normal group of, you know, that's not a normal representation of Ranger culture, right? Um, and so, therefore, the only example that we have is Aragorn. And to extrapolate from that to say, this is this is Rangers, right? Uh, and the women of the Rangers don't. Tra- we we don't know that. Right. We really we really don't. Um, And Aragorn, I absolutely agree. Aragorn, in our comments here, Strider is not an ordinary ranger. Right. Um, He seems to be kind of 
you know, I mean, he seems to sort of fit or even sort of establish the the kind of, you know, stereotype or prototype of, of rangers, right, um, in Bree. Uh, but, but, but yeah, it's, it's not, ex- he's, he's not exactly sort of uh, typical. Um, uh, let's see. So hang on a second. Let me, let me, let me come back. So uh, Mad Violinist is saying, um, yeah, exactly. Amethorn, you said it really well. Absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Absolutely. Yes, that is exactly correct. And the Mad Violinist says, but wouldn't it be fair to say that absence of evidence is just that, absence of evidence, and that one cannot conclude in the absence of evidence that ranger women are wandering all over Eriador? Absolutely. No, you certainly can't conclude that, right? The point is we don't have any evidence either way. Um, and so the, 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 the only thing that I caution against, I, I'm absolutely not using the absence of the point as like reason for a positive conclusion that they definitely do, right? All I'm saying is you can't make the argument that says there's, it's, it, it's not like, it doesn't fit the book, right? It's not like Tolkien to do that. I don't agree, right? Uh, I mean, again, there's, because almost every argument about that is an argument from absence, essentially. Uh, even some of the arguments that people are making, saying like, well, but all the story, you know, in, in the stories that we get, right, um, you know, we don't see that happening. That's true. That's true, right? Generally, that's true. Um, but, again, that's, at the end of the day, it's really just an argument from absence. The stories that are told in the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings are only a a small percentage of the total stories that could be told, right? And we don't know exactly what happened. Um, so, um, anyway, um, yes, Oakwig, it is like that, too. Um, it is like Oakwig is recalling uh, discussions we've had in, in the History of Middle-Earth uh, discussion in the Mythgard Academy. It says, it's like when Christopher reminds us that just because his father doesn't mention a pre-existing concept in a draft doesn't mean he's discarded it. Yeah, there are lots of times when he'll say, talk about something in one of his early drafts, and then when he revises it, like in the published text, it doesn't talk about that concept anymore. And Christopher is is uh, is very quick to remind us just because his, his, because his dad took out the reference to it does not prove that his father changed his mind and has eliminated that as a concept. It may just be that he decided not to mention it, but that it's still his conception of what was happening. So yeah, it, it's very much like that. Oh, quick. Um, yes, yes. Um, good. Let's see. Um, uh, yes, Crystal, the Rangers are the descendants of the Dunedain. That is correct. Um, Tony, it's possible, of course, that ranger women have learned stealth from the hobbits. That's conceivable. Uh, I, I rather doubt it, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Rothgar likes to think that there could still be a hobbit ranger running around out there. Uh, Rothgar, yes, there could be. And our only consolation is that we'd be able to hear him coming, uh, because of his wooden shoes, presumably. All right. Um... So, I, I, and actually, you know, it's funny because, you know, a couple of you were um, uh, in the course of that discussion were mentioning Eowyn um, as sort of the exception that proves the rule, right? In the sense that, like, the, the exceptional career of Eowyn sort of shows that, like, 
that is totally abnormal for women. And so therefore we can draw some conclusions about, uh, you know, what the sort of, you know, the, the role of women and the expected place of women uh, was. To some extent, that's true. But actually, I think even that argument is often overblown, frankly. Uh, remember, I was just reading, to, I'm reading The Two Towers right now, uh, just in pleasure reading. And um, I just got to the passage today where Faramir is talking about the Rohirrim. And he says, he talks about men and women and says valiant both alike, right? Um, it kind of sounds like Shield Maiden is a thing. It's not Eowyn making that up or being like, extremely deviant. Um, she was deviant in that she was supposed to be staying at home, right? She's deserting her post. Uh, and, you know, as like the last member of the House of Aeoral, she's not supposed to be there. Uh, so there are a bunches of reasons why she is being, uh, why, you know, in doing what she does and sneaking onto the battlefield and coming with the, coming with the army, she's being, um, uh, you know, bad <laughs> right she's 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 breaking from what she's supposed to be doing but it is not at all obvious to me that she's being radically unfeminine right by rohiric standards um but um uh yeah yeah um see lincoln i agree we don't know right but again that's my point uh we it's t- to say that like there are no other shield maidens uh, you know that no, no you know that like how what does faramir mean when he says that they're valiant the women are valiant right i agree does that prove that like they're all shield maidens no it doesn't prove that right but again we can't we have no basis on which to argue the, the other way either Right. To say, like, oh, you know, but they're not shield maidens. Right. They're valiant in other ways. Really? Right. Can we can we know that? I don't think so. Um, And Tony, that's the other thing that I was thinking of as well. Eowyn didn't invent the term shield maiden when she calls herself a shield maiden and says her hand is ungentle. um, I, I did. I I she talks about it again like it's a thing. Right. Like it's something that, uh, uh, you know, Faramir should uh, have heard of. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, anyhow. OK, so let's. Um, but, you know, we'll 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 talk more about this when we get there. Um, I just wanted to raise the whole argument from absence issue because it's been kind of niggling at me ever since we did that, that, you know, I think that uh, there was I was I was detecting a little more confidence in the doctrine that like women would not be traveling around that I think is in any way warranted uh, as far as the Rangers are concerned. Um, anyway, all right, let's 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 get back to the text. So we last left Harry being uh, the, the hobbits in the company of Harry who is being gruff, gruff with him at the gates, right and who um, uh, who also was um, Identifying them by their accents, right? We talked about that a little bit. Um, but, um, okay. Um, <laughs> we're done talking about the shield main thing. We're, I'm not going there, right? I opened it. I talked about it. I know. I get that. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Right? I'm not going to, ex- I'm not going to get distracted by a really long shield maiden debate. So let's let's move on. Bree, Harry Goatleaf, here we go. Our names and our business are our own, 
And this does not seem like a good place to discuss them, said Frodo, not liking the look of the man or the tone of his voice. Your business is your own, no doubt, said the man, but it's my business to ask questions after nightfall. We are hobbits from Buckland, and we have a fancy to travel and to stay at the inn here, put in Mary. I am Mr. Brandybuck. Is that enough for you? The brief folk used to be fair-spoken to travelers, or so I had heard. All right, all right, said the man. I meant no offense, but you'll find maybe that more folk than old Harry at the gate will be asking you questions. There's queer folk about. If you go on to the pony, you'll find you're not the only guests. Um, okay. What do you notice here in this exchange? Right? So we've had Harry's reaction to identifying them, noticing that there are four hobbits and that they're clearly from the Shire by their talk, right? Uh, and we were talking about how this seems pretty clear, right, that Harry has been gotten at by the Black Riders. We saw them try to bribe uh, the stalwart farmer Maggot, unsuccessfully, of course, and it seems very likely that they have tried the same on with Harry Goatleaf, uh, probably with more success. If they've even paid him, perhaps they merely intimidated him. Um, but uh, one of the things that really strikes me as interesting here, your business is your own, no doubt, but it's my business to ask questions after nightfall. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be hostile, right? That is, Harnuth, exactly as you suggest, um, that's him being diligent in his duty, Right? And he's not supposed to let just anybody in for any reason, right? So it, it totally is his business to ask questions after nightfall. And he has not asked them anything unreasonable, right? Who are you and what are you doing in Bree, right? Where are you going? What's going on? That seems uh, perfectly fine, right? Um... Mary's reaction is interesting. So the, 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 the two things, but first, the reaction that Mary has, right? And then the reaction that Harry has back, especially the latter, uh, I find very interesting. So Mary jumps in, right? Frodo was the one talking before. Mary jumps in uh, because he comes up with the cover story, right? Um, it's not even a cover story exactly, right? We're hobbits from Buckland he says, which is perfectly true when he says it, right? And, of course, they did come from Buckland. Uh, Frodo even officially has a street address there, right? So, you know, you could say other than Sam, and but, you know, but anyway, they're clearly hobbits from Buckland, right? We have a fancy to travel and to stay at the inn here. I am Mr. Brandybuck. Um, uh, so, okay, um, Mary is nervous, I think, Lady Shmabuak. I think that that's true. Um, but I think it's interesting. So first of all, we have a fancy to travel and to stay at the inn here. Um, I am Mr. Brandybuck. That is an assertion of authority, right? I am Mr. Brandybuck. Uh, my name is Brandybuck. I am from Buckland, right? And I'm not just any Brandy. I am Mr. Brandybuck, right? Mr. is an important title, right? Um, is that enough for you? And then his rider there, right? The Bree folk used to be fair spoken to travelers, or so I had heard, right? What's he doing there? What is his... So, 
Harry is being suspicious. Harry has said, your business is your own, but it's my business to ask questions after nightfall. And Mary responds evasively, right? Um, now, Tony, you're right. Exactly. Mary reveals uh, uh, that he's, you know, he's, he's saying not only are we from Buckland, but I'm from the chief family, right? So you should, you should respect me and you should mind your P's and Q's, right? Uh, don't give me any hassle because I'm an important person, right? Um, so yeah, he is definitely, he is definitely deflecting there. Um, as, and that last sentence is kind of scolding, right? The brief folk used to be fair spoken to travelers, or so I had heard, right? Is it untrue? You know, are, are the brie people rude to travelers nowadays? Um, on the one level, this response is fairly simple, right? Harry is totally justified to say that it's his business to ask questions after nightfall. Mary is also perfectly justified to say, yeah, but what the heck, right? Um, since when do hobbits from Buckland need to, like, declare their business? Is this a customs checkpoint, right? I mean, do I, do, do, are, are, are you going to check my papers here? Now, do I need an excuse? Do I need an invitation to come to Brie? Do I need a visa of some sort to come to Brie, right? That's never how it's worked before, right? People from, I mean, maybe they don't come so often anymore, but hobbits from Buckland used to kind of just pop out here to hang out at the inn sometimes, right? Even the, the 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 sort of the non-answer that he gives, right? We have a fancy to travel and stay at the inn here. That's not disclosing their business, right? But the whole point is, hey, look, you know, we um, we don't need to have business, right? It's it's it's. Why do you even assume that there's a reason that we're coming, right? We're just going to relax. Um, uh. Now, Gilgonthir, I agree. I mean, again, it's not that Harry's uh, uh, that Harry's uh, um, question is totally unreasonable, but to the people that he's saying, to, it kind of is a little bit. Remember what we were looking at last week—the way that Bree is both sort of closed and open, right? It's on the one hand, it's a walled city, but on the other hand, it's there to, you know, welcoming travelers off the road is one of the things that they do, right? You don't, again, you don't need papers to be able to get in the gate and come to the Prancing Pony. And hobbits, you would think, um, are uh, the least threatening of the lot. Hobbits coming in from Shire direction, it might be unusual, right? It might be something that, you know, might cause talk. Uh, Harry could express surprise, but what exactly is he afraid of, right? What legitimate cause for suspicion? Suspicion of what exactly, right? Um, uh, yeah, exactly, Valori. Hobbits are self-explanatory by virtue of being hobbits, especially hobbits coming in from the west, from the Shire direction, right? Um, and and it, 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 what you what you would assume on seeing them is exactly what Mary says, right? We have a fancy to travel and stay at the inn. Boy, I didn't I didn't expect a sort of Spanish Inquisition, right? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, uh, um, so what's the gatekeeper for, right? Someone, uh, so I, uh, someone was asking that earlier, right? Um, if he's if if his job is not to you know interrogate people at the gates, then what's he for? Well, what's he for? 
is to like make sure that there because there are brigands, right? And we know that brigandage is going to be a bigger problem soon, right? Especially when, of course, apparently Harry himself is going to go out for a brigand. But uh, but nevertheless, that's like you want to make sure that nobody's coming in the town intending mischief, like real mischief, not hobbit mischief of some kind, right? Um, but like say you know this because you could have people you know riding into town causing mischief, right? You could have brigands coming in, um, especially at night, right? When, you know, you want to keep a guard on the gate uh, to make sure that people aren't, you know, you could have a a little war band. I mean, imagine like seven ruffians on horseback riding in through the gate um, in the middle of the night could cause a lot of damage in Bree, right? Um, so to have somebody there at the gate to bar the gate against them or to, you know, choose to let them in or whatever, there's... Um, Sure, there's lots of good reasons for them to uh, to 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 have to have a gatekeeper, um, but I read this exactly to raise an alarm uh, when needed. But get four hobbits coming in from the Shire to to the fact that he is interrogating them um, suggests, as I think is 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 clearly true, he has an an ulterior motive. It's not exactly part of his job because his brief cannot be to protect Bree against an incursion of, you know, Shire hobbits on ponyback coming in from from the west. Right? That's just that can't really be um, what's uh, what's going on. And and you're right, Tony. We do have those uh, those stories about trolls armed with dreadful weapons. Right? Exactly. So I mean, you would want you've got walls. You would want to use your gates. You would want to keep your gates manned. All that makes all kinds of sense. What doesn't make sense is I've got to scrutinize these hobbits really carefully to make sure they're up to uh, uh, they're up to no good. Yes, Kyle says there might be ranger women around. Very true. You can you never can tell. Um, yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sharon points out that the TSA does pat down small children. Well, see, Sharon, but like the gatekeeper at Bree acting like the TSA is arguably a sign that something is amiss, either with Bree as a whole or with the gatekeeper in particular, right? Uh, perhaps uh, uh, it might suggest, you know, he is uh, 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 an ally of uh, uh, creatures of darkness. Um, but... Um, Anyway, good. Um, what interests me further, though, uh, and, and, and really also kind of inform- is, is his response to Mary, right? When Mary sort of chides him, the brief folk used to be fair spoken. Why are you being so rude? Right? Shouldn't you see us coming and be like, hey, well, I mean, maybe give us a hard time, right? That's what people do, right? Maybe tease us or something. Uh, you know, so some kind of like witty badinage would be totally fine. But be like, hey, yo, okay, like, you know, uh, hobbits from the Shire. Oh, I haven't seen you guys and, you know, any of you in forever. Oh, going to the pony, I assume, right? Well, okay, right this way, you know, can't miss it. Um, you know, that, um, that, that, would seem normal, right? Um, all right, all right, said the man. I meant no offense, but you'll find maybe that more folk than old Harry at the gate will be asking you questions. There's queer folk about. If you go on to the pony, you'll find you're not the only guests. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. Why does he say all right, all right? 
that in itself also suggests... Now, there are two things here. One, again, Mary has pulled rank, right? Uh, you know, Mary has said, by the way, <clears throat> I'm Mr. Brandybuck, right? So watch it, Buster, right? I'm an aristocrat over here. I'm a short aristocrat, but I'm still an aristocrat, right? So, uh, um, uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's keep this civil. Um, so... On one hand, yes. So Harry is saying, okay, I don't want to offend one of the landed gentry of the Shire, right, of Buckland nearby. You know, that that would be bad. Um, but if he were really in his... If he were really in the right, if this is how he's supposed to be acting, if this is normal, or even a new normal in Bree that is slightly paranoid with things getting weird lately, right? He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, all right, all right. He would say, the brief folk used to be fair, fair spoken in travelers or so I had heard. He would say something like, yeah, that was in the old days, right? Before like crazy people were out on the roads all the time, right? So, you know, new rules. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask questions, right? But he doesn't do that. He apologizes. All right, all right. I meant no offense, right? Don't get offended. Um, but you'll find maybe that more folk than old Harry at the gate will be asking you questions. There's queer folk about. What does that mean? You'll find maybe that more folk than old Harry will be asking you a question. There's queer folk about. It's that last sentence, right? There's queer folk about. So... Are the folk that are going to be asking them questions queer? Or are folk going to be asking questions because there are queer folk? So what is, the, what is the role of the queer folk in the asking of questions is the main thing I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort out. Um, uh, yeah, see, Valoria, I was hearing that too. All right, I meant no offense does sound to me like code for don't tell my boss, right? Yes, I, that's, that's the, 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 the main thing I take from the beginning there is that he knows he's put, he's not on firm ground here. He's not just doing his job. He is overstepping his job because of course, what he's actually doing is the Black Riders job, right? He has been told by the Black Riders to look out for a party of four hobbits coming from the Shire, right? So he has been pushing them, uh, and he is suspicious not in his capacity of protector of Bree, but in his capacity as underling of the Black Riders, right? Um, and that, I believe, is why he backed... Because he knows, like, he's, he's, he's been sort of pursuing this for ulterior motives, right? Uh, and if they were to complain, if Mr. Brandybuck, right, were to go to the Prancing Pony and start making a stink about it, oh, man, we got, you know... Raked over the coals by Harry at the gate, right? Is that how you guys carry on in Bree these days, right? Harry could get in trouble, conceivably. That that seems to me quite possible. Exactly. Blizzard says he doesn't want Mary to ask to see his manager. That's exactly. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, but then again, moving on to the warning there. You'll find maybe that more folk than old Harry at the gate will be asking you questions. This sounds to me like justification, Right. You know, I don't think that this is just me being weird, right? Lots of people are asking whether well, there's there's weird folk, you know, there's there's queer folk about. Now, hobbits from the Shire don't really qualify. I mean, it's unusual, right? 
they don't come out that often, but it's very clear from the reception that they get, both from Butterbur and from the others in the common room, that the people in Bree don't consider hobbits from Buckland uh, in the category of queer folk about, right? Um, so he seems he seems to be attempting to justify his inquisitiveness by saying, oh man, there's so many weird people around that I, it, I've, I've got to be extra diligent, right, in asking questions. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Harneth, where in the book does it say that Harry Goatleaf was working for the Black Riders? We're getting there. We'll get there, right? Um, uh, Strider will tell them. It comes in chapter 10, I believe. Um, we'll get there sooner or later. But, uh, uh, but yeah, we have, we have, we already have reasons to suspect that from his reaction, right? Hobbits, four hobbits and out of the Shire by their talk, right? Like just exactly the party of hobbits I was told to look out for, just like the black riders told farmer maggot to look out for them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, Mike, I, I, I do think that Harry Goatleaf is not the best agent. Uh, he doesn't really, I think covert ops is not likely, uh, to be his calling in life. Um, I think that he, uh, the black riders might've found, uh, you know, some, uh, <laughs> sharper tools in this particular shed, but you know, uh, they work with what they have. Um, exactly, Rothgar. He, he's no Sam, right? Absolutely. Not able to pull the wool over people's eyes as well as Sam. Um, uh, yeah, good, good. Um, excellent. Um, if you go onto the pony, you'll find you're not the only guests. Uh, again, that seeming to justify his, like, you know, God, things are so topsy-turvy here in Bree that... It's really, I totally, it's not weird that I was asking these questions. It's totally, it's totally, uh, uh, standard now, right? Um, yeah, no, he is not a good conspirator, uh, Tony. I, I, not, not really at all. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's fairly plain. Okay. He wished them good night and they said no more. But Frodo could see in the lantern light that the man was still eyeing them curiously. He was glad to hear the gate clang behind them as they rode forward. He wondered why the man was so suspicious, and whether anyone had been asking for news of a party of hobbits. Could it have been Gandalf? He might have arrived while they were delayed in the forest in the downs. But there was something in the look and voice of the gatekeeper that made him uneasy. The man stared after the hobbits for a moment, and then he went back to his house. As soon as his back was turned, a dark figure climbed quickly in over the gate and melted into the shadows of the village street. The hobbits rode on up a gentle slope, passing a few detached houses, and drew up outside the inn. The houses looked large and strange to them. Sam stared up at the inn with its three stories and many windows and felt his heart sink. He had imagined himself meeting giants taller than trees and other creatures even more terrifying some time or other in the course of his journey. But at the moment, he was finding his first sight of men and their tall houses quite enough, indeed too much for the dark end of a tiring day. He pictured black horses standing all saddled in the shadows of the inn-yard, and black riders peering out of dark upper windows. Okay. Um, yeah, that dark figure does sound pretty ominous, doesn't it, Lincoln? I think, yeah, no, no good can come of that, right? Um... Yeah, 
Blue Wizard says that Frodo seems to be the worst guesser ever. He seems always to make the wrong assumptions. I don't know about always, but I agree his track record is not excellent. Yeah. Um, All right. A couple things here. Notice that Frodo is thinking along exactly the lines that Harry seems to have been attempting to deflect there in his final speech. Um, why is the man so suspicious? Why is he asking questions? And he even comes to almost the right conclusion, right? Uh, the right conclusion being, has he been put on his guard, uh, uh, you know, to, and, and told to look out for a party of hobbits coming from the Shire? Again, remember, they have heard the story of Farmer Maggot, who has told something very similar, right? So they have every reason to believe that that's something that could happen, but he is, think, is hoping it's Gandalf, right? And I think that there, that's even more than his guess. I think that's just his hope because there's really two possibilities, right? If they, if the guy at the West Gate was anticipating a party of hobbits coming out of the Shire, it can only be Gandalf or the Black Riders uh, who have tipped him off about that. And I think this is just Frodo really, really hoping that uh, it was Gandalf. And the other option sort of remains unstated. Even the kind of rationalization, right? He might have arrived while they were delayed in the forest in the downs, right? It's totally not impossible that it's Gandalf, right? Yeah, okay, Frodo, no, it's not impossible. But of course, that other unspoken explanation is really probably the right one. And Sam thinking about Bree chock full of black riders shows that Sam is definitely thinking about that other alternative, right? Um, Frodo is not the only one who is suspicious of Harry Goatleaf's suspiciousness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I agree, Gilgon Theer, that there there is something dangerous in his sort of hoping that, you know, if he really is in denial, that it could get them in trouble. But again, I, I don't think... It's really denial. I think what we're seeing here is is him just sort of hoping. But again, I I don't think that he is uh, unaware, you know, or 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 merely trying to deny the other uh, possibility. Um, yeah, and Tony, I agree. I think that's another element of it too. To, uh, uh, Tony points out that Frodo is also still in the state of finding it hard to believe that Gandalf wouldn't keep his word. Um, and he's still expecting him any minute. Yeah, Gandalf said he'd be back for the party. He didn't show up. That was shocking, right? He still hadn't gotten to Buckland by the time they got there. But yeah, he's still assuming, like, Gandalf is late, and that's already very strange, and even even uh, uh, Gildor was kind of freaked out about it, right, when he told him about that. But um, but still, like, surely, right, any, any day, any minute now, surely he's going to catch up with us. So um, I, I, I do think that we can kind of, in that way, um, Tony see it as sort of not not just kind of desperate, you know, hope, but also uh, 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 faith in Gandalf as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Hrothgar, yeah, uh, I was thinking about that line too. We had talked about whether they had seen men uh, at all before. Um, does his first sight of men confirm that he's not encountered men before? Um, I... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, again, as we talked about last time, um, I mean, that, that it sounds like he's saying his first sight of men that Sam has never seen men before. Um, 
Again, I'm a little bit, I would be a little bit surprised by the gaffer's reaction. Um, uh, you know, remember, what does one of the big folk want with us? That's Pippin who asks that question. Um, when they're first talking about this, right, when they first kind of, when Sam tells the story of the Black Rider and stuff, what does one of the big folk, you know, have to do with us? You'd think that that would be what uh, the gaffer is is primarily focused on, right? Now, here's another possible theory. I hadn't really thought of this before. Um, the gaffer... Sam, Remember Sam points out that it was dark and the gaffer is more than a bit blind? Could the gaffer have missed the fact that his the guest at his door, right, um, was one of the big folk? I mean, he, he heard the hiss, right? Hissed at me, he did, right? Um, and he talks about his accent. He spoke funny, but um, he says, I thought he was one of those strangers from foreign parts. <laughs> Which to the gaffer we know could mean, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, scary or broken borings or something like that, right? Needle hole is foreign parts to the gaffer. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I agree, Hrothgar, that the voice would come from higher up, but I am not sure in the dark if that would be sort of enough. Um, and yeah, JJ, they are wearing shapeless robes, and um, we do see them hunched over, indeed, even crawling along on their faces on the ground. Um, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, Hrothgar, he does identify him as a black chap, right? But again, that... It's the absence of of wonder, right? That he doesn't lead with. There was one of the big people right here in Bagshot Row, if you'll believe me, right? We don't get that from the gaffer, and Sam doesn't mention it even at all, right? Um, uh, so no, and uh, uh, by black chap, he's clearly just referring to like it's what he sees, right? He was a black chap, meaning he's dressed all in black, right? I I I, I don't think there's anything, uh, you know, that it's. He's refer, you know, we think of skin color, right? When people talk, when people talk like that. But actually, you'll notice this is a trend uh, in Tolkien as well. Like when, and and this is an old convention, um, calling someone fair or dark, and you're not talking about their skin; you're talking about their hair when you talk about that. that's a very common in 19th century literature, for instance. Um, I'm thinking, uh, you know, right now of Dracula, right? You know, and the uh, the two dark sisters and the one fair sister of the three vampire women uh, in Castle Dracula. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, no, yeah, but look at this. This is a question that a lot of people ask. I mean, you know, that uh, uh, that I've, I've, I've heard people talk about that line, you know, the gaffer saying he was a black chap and thinking that this is like a racial comment that he's making. It's, no, you can't see his skin, right? It's the whole point. You can't see his face at all. Uh, uh, he's just completely dressed in black. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, Um I don't know, Hrothgar. I mean, if he can see that he's dressed in black, could he see that he would be, you know, would he, would he be able to get an idea of his size? I don't know. 
I don't know. Um, um, yeah. But anyway. Uh, so has Sam never laid eyes on a human being before? I don't know. But, you know, whether he has or not, notice the emphasis here in this passage. Right? He looked... The houses looked large and strange. Sam stared up at the inn with its three stories and many windows and felt his heart sink. Right? Whether or not he has seen men before, like clapped eyes upon men before, um, that's not what matters. Right? What matters is that he is now, for the first time, um, uh, he is now, for the first time, in a human place. Right? He's never been in a human settlement. Even if he's seen humans before, maybe from a distance or something, he's seen them in the Shire, right? In the Hobbit context, and now he is in a land of men. Um, and, and there's this sense, right? The, um, the large, strange houses and that, you know, that sense of the houses towering over them. Um, the reference to giants taller than trees is kind of a tip-off of, to how Sam is feeling here. How does Sam feel? He feels like, like Jack, who just climbed up, climbed up the beanstalk, right? And here he is in the land of giants. Look at these houses towering over me, like in these streets with buildings way high up on either side. It's, uh, um, it's very, uh, um, it's very strange. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, good, good. Oh, good, right, okay, interesting. Right. Okay. Now, you guys are reminding me. I had forgotten that line. You're right. You're right that he does reckon that it was one of the big folk from foreign parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gotta think, then, the very fact that, as we were saying, don't, they don't lead with that. You know, they don't emphasize the, like, how strange that is. They have to have seen men before. So, again, I think that what we're getting here is um, that experience of, like, he's never... he was finding his first sight of men and their tall houses quite enough, right? Um, and I think that's the difference. It's not just like, I've seen my first human and it's freaking me out, right? I, I don't, it's not that. It's the whole, it's men in their tall houses. He is walking on the streets and there are men there and they're tall. He's in the land of giants and he is finding his first experience of being in the land of giants. Um, very unsettling, right? Too much for the dark end of a tiring day. Um, and notice where he goes from that, right? Um, he pictures black horses standing all saddled in the shadows of the inn yard and black riders peering out of dark upper windows. Um, he's definitely seen at least one human size person before, right? And that was the black riders. So notice how he is associating um, all of the humans that he meets with. It's like this town might as well be completely populated by black riders. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Uh, would Gandalf have been human sized? Yeah, no, he would. Gandalf would be human sized. Um, and probably most of the hobbits just think of him as, one of the big people, probably, probably, is how they think of him. 
um, he's a wizard. But I think that to most hobbits, as it clearly is in in in, in to Bilbo in the Hobbit, um, that he's um, um, you know when they say he's a wizard, this it's a profession, right? Um, you know, it's 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 almost they're not quite like saying he's a plumber, right? Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fourth Dauntless, exactly. Sam being a well, yeah, he is like a country boy in the city for the first time. That that is part of the effect that we get from Sam. But again, it's more than that, right? It's like it's that, but but there's also the, you know, Jack just climbed up the beanstalk and is in Giant Land for the first time, right? Uh, there's that element of it too. It's more than just. I've never seen so many people in such big buildings before. Um, it's definitely uh, it's definitely more than that. Um, okay, uh, let's see. I, but anyway, that that association. Uh, uh, Lincoln was mentioning this before, and I think he's very right to mention it. We see Sam is distrustful of strangers, right? We saw that with him and the gaffer, right? We know where he got that from. Um, you know, he has been brought up to think that people outside of Hobbiton are, are queer, right? That to be distrustful, um, actively distrustful of people outside of Hobbiton. And forget the Shire, right? People outside the Shire, that's crazy talk, right? Um, but we can see this, th- this association is relatively extreme, right? He's not just assuming that the people around here are going to be strange. Um, he's not even merely assuming that these people might be in league with the Black Riders, and remember they have his cause for that. Um, As I was suggesting before, I think that this is indicative of Sam's own thought process about Harry Goadleaf, right? Again, there were two possibilities of why they'd be looking, why he'd be looking out for hobbits from the Shire. One is that Gandalf came there before them, but of course the other is that he uh, is in the pay of the Black Riders, and um, Sam is clearly is clearly thinking that, right? So he's, but he's gone a step beyond now thinking people here are strange and weird, right? He's gone a step beyond saying people here might be dangerous and sinister, right? He's even gone a step beyond thinking people here are all probably in league with the Black Riders, right? And instead, in his own imagination, he's populated the entire town uh, with with Black Riders. So um, that's... I, I, it does show sort of the extremity of Sam's uneasiness, but also the quickness of his uh, of his distrust. I think that that's a perfectly fair thing um, uh, to say. Um, and Tony, you are right to point out that his protectiveness of Frodo uh, is also likely to uh, accentuate rather than deaccentuate his paranoia. Right. Um, good. Good. We surely aren't going to stay here for the night, are we, sir? He exclaimed. If there are hobbit folk in these parts, why don't we look for some that would be willing to take us in? It would be more homelike. What's wrong with the inn? said Frodo. Tom Bombadil recommended it. I expect it's homelike enough inside. Even from the outside, the inn looked a pleasant house to familiar eyes. It had a front on the road, and two wings running back on land, partly cut out of the lower slopes of the hill. Sorry, let me do that again. It had a front on the road and two wings running back on land partly cut out of the lower slopes of the hill, so that at the rear the second-floor windows were level with the ground. 
There was a wide arch leading to a courtyard between the two wings, and on the left under the arch there was a large doorway reached by a few broad steps. The door was open, and light streamed out of it. Above the arch there was a lamp, and beneath it swung a large signboard, a fat white pony reared up on its hind legs. Over the door was painted in white the, in white letters, The Prancing Pony by Barleman Butterbur. Many of the lower windows showed lights behind thick curtains. As they hesitated outside in the gloom, someone began, to sing, began singing a merry song inside, and many cheerful voices joined loudly in the chorus. They listened to this encouraging sound for a moment, and then got off their ponies. The song ended, and there was a burst of laughter and clapping. Okay. Um... <laughs> See Tony uh, quoting Slarty Bartfast over there. Um, all right. Notice though, we just were talking about Sam's distrust of strangers. Notice what's already happened, <laughs> right? Uh, you'd think he was distrustful of people, even over in the East Farthing, right? Farmer Maggot was like questionable uh, to Sam, just as folks in Hobbiton were questionable to Farmer Maggot, right? Um, so people in the East Farthing are, are, are were questionable already. People in Buckland, right? You know, Mr. Mary accepted, are, are probably accepted, are even stranger, right? Um, and yet now that he's in Bree, you might think, well, people in Buckland seem downright normal compared to the people way out here in Bree, Right? But notice where he immediately goes. They're wandering the streets, seeing the really tall houses, feeling like he's, you know, uh, a, a small person in a in a in a in a you know in this like giant's town. Um, he immediately any hobbit, any hobbit, right? A Bree hobbit who is so far outside, you know, the boundaries of his civilization, right? Um, it would be homelike, homelike, just to be in any hobbit hole, right? Uh, that would be that would be far better. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Okendor asks, uh, did the inn not exist before Barlaman Butterbur? Did he take over ownership and rename it? No, no. Uh, he just runs it. The buy means it doesn't mean that he originated it. It means that he he runs it now. Um, the Prancing Pony has been in the family of Butterbur for time out of mind, so uh, we know that he, uh, you know, his father before him was the innkeeper, and his father before him. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, the by, I, I always found that kind of interesting, um, uh, just as a turn of phrase. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I love the description about the second floor windows, right? Look how, look how, uh, how inviting the prancing pony is, right? The prancing pony is like this midway space. On the one hand, it's huge, right? I mean, from the front where they're standing, it's like one of these huge giant buildings, right? And yet on the back, uh, you know, the second story windows are on the ground level, right? It's like a hobbit hole set into the hill, right? It's not on the hill. It's cut into the hill. Like a hobbit, and it's not exactly like a hobbit hole, right? But there's, 
there is definitely the prancing pony definitely has its feet in one foot in each world, right? A foot in the in the human world and a foot in the in the Hobbit world, uh, and that seems to be designed. Um, uh, 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 isn't you know it? It seems to be designed to suggest that the prancing pony is comfortable, right? Is 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 making an actual effort, right? To be not just a human in which also takes hobbits, uh, but to really be, uh, but to really be uh, um, a, a place for both. And it do- doesn't it sound cozy? I agree. Ricky Ticky, uh, the pony being fat and the curtains being thick, uh, make it sound cozy. Yeah, the the very fact that the 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 pony on the signboard is a fat white pony rearing up on its hind legs. Right? Come on, that's not scary, right? If it were the prancing pony and you saw it like a rearing horse that looked intimidating and military, right? That you know might kind of give the wrong impression. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Hrothgar, this is the East Road. Um, the road goes through the gate, passes by the it it because the road does go through the town. The East Road goes through the town. Um, it comes in through the West Gate, then loops down and, and leaves out the South Gate of Bree, and then hooks around and continues off to the east. So the road, capital R, um, the inn is right on the road. It's not at the crossroads. Right, uh, the crossroads are outside of town, but it is right on the east road. Um, yeah, Tony likes to think that the the pony's namesake is Fatty Lumpkin. Uh, you know, uh, I would be tempted, Tony, to cast Fatty Lumpkin as a white pony, uh, even if only for the sake of that connection. That would be kind of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, That last paragraph, right? Um, their hesitation in the gloom, right? They're being concerned about, you know, like, do we actually go into this enormous human structure, right? And I mean, is this, is it, Tom Bombadil recommended it? I expect it's homelike enough inside, Frodo says encouragingly. Um, but here, I think you know Frodo. Frodo's trying to show good leadership and be brave, right? Um, they're all feeling concerned, and then what do they hear? They hear merriment, right? And of course, remember they've just been talking about Tom Bombadil, right? Merry Doll is his middle name, right? Um, merriment is, of course, something we talked about a lot back in uh, uh, back in chapter six, and uh, that that you know, Mary, the sound of 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 many cheerful voices joining in the chorus of the merry song um, comes out to them is extremely reassuring. These are probably not uh, wicked giants waiting to kill us, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They led their ponies under the arch, and leaving them standing in the yard, they climbed up the steps. Frodo went forward and nearly bumped into a short, fat man with a bald head and a red face. He had a white apron on, and was bustling out of one door and in through another, carrying a tray laden with full mugs. "'Can we—' began Frodo. 
"'Half a minute, if you please,' shouted the man over his shoulder, and vanished into a babble of voices and a cloud of smoke. In a moment he was out again, wiping his hands on his apron. "'Good evening, little master,' he said, bending down. "'What may you be wanting?' "'Beds for four, and stabling for five ponies, if that can be managed. Are you Mr. Butterbur?' All right. Um, <laughs> you know, JJ, I was, I was actually thinking of the giants of Harfang when I said that, uh, and I was like, I was, I was making a silent internal exception for the giants of Harfang. But you know what? I don't think that it is an exception because jolly, merry is something that they are not. They're not merry, right? Um, they laugh like the king laughs a lot and the queen laughs, but. They're not merry. It's not the kind of merriment that they hear through the windows there. I, I would still defend that, actually. Uh, that uh, That's not how the giants of Harfang behave. Um, uh, anyway, okay. Anyway, uh, first impressions of Butterbur. Uh, he's short, and that's kind of reassuring, right? He's short and fat with a bald head and a red face, doesn't look very dangerous, right? Um, his reaction. Good evening, little master. What may you be wanting? Back to Harry at the gate, right? See, this is why I think it's sus- clearly suspicious that he's so suspicious, right? Butterbur doesn't bat an eye, Right? These are obviously strange hobbits. I'm betting that Butterbur knows all of the local hobbits, right? Um, he sees four strange hobbits dismounting in the yard of his inn, uh, you know, having just come inside, and he says, he doesn't say, Hobbits? Right? It's, are you from the Shire? No, he's just like, Good evening, what may you be wanting? He treats it as completely normal. Um, yeah, it's not his job to ask questions after dark, says James. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he's certainly not, uh, or at least he's not pretending that it's, uh, his job here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that we first meet him bustling through, right? That his first words are half a minute, if you please, right? Is a really great introduction to his, to his life, right? On the one hand, he is a whirlwind of activity, right? He is, uh, 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 you know, he's not, um, his focus is on hospitality, he's on serving. He's got a tray full of beer and he's got to deliver it, right? Um, and there is this sense that I mean, he, he also is doing the work himself, right? He's not hiring somebody else to bring all the beer mugs in, right? He doesn't seem to have barmaids or anything like that, right? Uh, no tavern wenches in the Prancing Pony, it seems. Butterbur waits on the tables himself. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that is interesting. Fourth Dauntless points out the, uh, the difference between Butterbur's bending down... And the black rider stooping over the gaffer, right? Um, it is a much more welcoming phrase. It's it's deferential, right? Um, uh, that bending down is also a bit of a, a servant's gesture, 
like a like a butler or a footman's gesture, right? Um, the, you know, so he he is probably bending from the waist so that it looks more like a bow, um, which is polite, just as good evening, little master, right? Um, the little kind of slightly patronizing, but that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he is doing. Uh, I, I find it very encouraging that he is doing uh, that he is doing the serving. Uh, that's right, Barlaman is my name, Barlaman Butterbur at your service. You're from the Shire, eh? He said, and then suddenly clapped his hand to his forehead as if trying to remember something. Hobbits, he cried. Now, what does that remind me of? Might I ask your name, sirs? Notice even the question. Might I ask your names, sirs? Right, as if it's just possible that they might be offended by that, that it might be seen uh, to be prying into their business to ask their names, right? Because um, it's not his question to ask uh, his business to ask questions after nightfall. Mister Took and Mister Brandybuck said Frodo, and this is Sam Gamgee. My name is Underhill. There now," said Mister Butterbur, snapping his fingers. "It's gone again, but it'll come back when I have time to think." I'm run off my feet, but I'll see what I can do for you. We don't often get a party out of the Shire nowadays, and I should be sorry not to make you welcome. But there is such a crowd already in the house tonight as there hasn't been for long enough. It never rains, but it pours, we say in Bree. Um, yeah, he does really know how to be polite, Tony. I agree. He, this is, uh, 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 Butterbur is very good on customer service. Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, notice the introductions. He introduces his aristocratic friends first, right? Mr. Took and Mr. Brandybuck, both of which na- surnames, Butterbur would be, he'd be very familiar with both of those, right? Mr. Took and Mr. Brandybuck. These are two important people, right? You will have heard of the Tooks and the Brandybucks, and they're both misters. And this is Sam Gamgee. He's not gentry. Right, you can tell on account of how I used his first name instead of calling him Mister Gamgee. Right, exactly. Kimber Sam gets his full name, showing that he's that he's a servant. Right, that he's that he's lower class. Um, and my name is Underhill. Now, notice he does not specify anything about himself. He leaves his own status ambiguous. He gives his name, but he doesn't say his name is Mister Underhill. Um, uh, and he doesn't. Nor does he give his first name. He just says his name is Underhill. Um, so he leaves that a little bit ambiguous, although the fact that he is introducing Mr. Took and Mr. Brandybuck does kind of imply that he's their peer, right? That he's the one speaking instead of deferring to Mr. Took or Mr. Brandybuck. Um, exactly. Mike was just thinking the same thing. The fact that he's that he's the leader um, does suggest that he is probably wealthy and important as well, even though his name is not as uh, famous, right? I hope so logged out here, even though his name is not as famous as uh, the names of his companions, right? Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah, you're right, Tony. He does introduce Sam Gamgee. That's not a given, right? He could just say, Mr. Took and Mr. Brandybuck, my name is Underhill and this is my servant. That would be totally, would you? Sam wouldn't bat an eye at that introduction, right? He wouldn't be miffed at being introduced that way. Um, so I agree. 
uh, Tony, I do think that him saying, and this is Sam Gamgee, my name is Underhill, um, is uh, is actually a, a showing, he's showing politeness to Sam. Absolutely. Um, and again, Butterbur, not shocked, right? He does point out that it's been a long time since hobbits from the Shire have been there. But it's not like he's treating it as bizarre, right? Um, he, uh, um, we don't often get a party out of the Shire nowadays. It's pretty neutral, right? Um, he's not showing amazement. I would be sorry not to make you welcome. He certainly is concerned about the reputation uh, of the Bree folk being well-spoken to strangers, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that is interesting, Hrothgar. Yeah, Hrothgar points out that uh, it's clear that Sam is a servant, but it's unclear whose servant he is. Uh, and so that you know, might help to obscure his identity some. Um, his own, Frodo's own identity, I assume you mean? Yeah, yeah, I assume so. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, his only thought is that Hobbits from the Shire reminds him of something, right, that he can't quite remember. Um, notice his immediate impulse is the apology for um, the fullness of his house, right? That is, apologies that he's a little bit worried that he might not be able to accommodate them, that he might not be able to uh, 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 he might not be able to uh, wait on them properly, like to devote a proper amount of attention to them because he's run off his legs, right? Because there's so many people, right? There's such a crowd already as there hasn't been for long enough, right? Though even that expression shows that the crowd is quite welcome to him, right? He's not complaining about the business. Uh, and even the it never rains but it pours suggests that, you know, he views it as a good thing. It's just a lot of a good thing, right? So there's this kind of implicit apology in advance, right? Um, interesting. Alex Long is wondering if, uh, you know, how significant it is, and he says we don't often get a party out of the Shire nowadays. Um, maybe they just get stray hobbits, such as, as Alex points out, hobbits sent on adventures by Gandalf. Um, possibly. But even... I mean, I can't imagine that he's thinking, however, stray individual hobbits from the Shire uh, are commonplace, right? We get those all the time. But a group of you, not so often. I don't think so. I think it's been a while since they've had any hobbits from the Shire. Um, probably. Uh, a, a solitary adventurer sent by Gandalf would still be a party of one, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and it's been a long time indeed, JJ, since there was a party of dwarves with a Shire Hobbit amongst them, right? I mean, Thorin and company with Bilbo in tow must have passed through Bree, probably stayed at the Prancing Pony, almost certainly stayed at the Prancing Pony, um, but, uh, but I mean, that was 77 years ago, so, yeah, I mean, I'd probably not even his dad was around, maybe his grandfather uh, was running the inn at that point. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, Brandon, I agree. I, I do suspect Mr. Took and Mr. Brandybuck, since the Tooks and Brandybucks are the families that are most likely to be have people traveling outside Bree, right? Uh, or outside the Shire to Bree. I think that that is very likely um, to be true, as Brandon suggests, that those families might have even higher sort of levels of status and ra- name recognition uh, in Bree than they do in the Shire. Um yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Um, yeah, notice again how he can recognize their speech as well. You're from the Shire, eh? He says. Again, now the, probably that's just because they're strangers and he would know them, or at least have seen them before, uh, if they were from one of the four villages. But um, but I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that he can recognize by their accents that... Uh, uh, they are from, uh, you know, that they are from the Shire. Hi, Nob, he shouted. Where are you, you woolly-footed slow coach? Nob! Coming, sir, coming! A cheery-looking hobbit bobbed out of a door, and seeing the travelers, stopped short and stared at them with great interest. Where's Bob? asked the landlord. You don't know? Well, find him, double sharp! I haven't got six legs nor six eyes neither! "'Tell Bob there's five ponies that have to be stabled. "'He must find room somehow.' "'Nob trotted off with a grin and a wink. "'Well, now, what was I going to say?' said Mr. Butterbur, tapping his forehead. "'One thing drives out another, so to speak. "'I'm that busy tonight, my head is going round. "'There's a party that came up the Greenway from down south last night, "'and that was strange enough to begin with. "'Then there's a traveling company of dwarves going west come in this evening, "'and now there's you.' If you weren't hobbits, I doubt if we could house you. But we've got a room or two in the north wing that were made special for hobbits when this place was built. On the ground floor, as they usually prefer, round windows and all as they like it. I hope you'll be comfortable. You'll be wanting supper, I don't doubt, as soon as may be. This way now. Okay. Um, so, woolly-footed slow coach. Uh, a slow coach is just merely somebody who moves slowly, right? And that uh, he would call one of his helpers, right? One of his servants, a slow coach, is that's a uh, perfectly normal insult. Does the coach in slow coach refer to a horse-drawn carriage? Yes. I, yeah, yes. I believe so. Um, it's interesting that I'm trying to think, do we ever see... A horse-drawn carriage. Does a horse-drawn carriage ever appear in any story in all of the history of Middle-earth? I can't... The Wayne Riders? Yeah. Wagons. Anyway. Uh, Not carriages. Farmer Maggot's Pony Trap... Right, which is, yeah. I, I'm thinking it's. I'm I'm not questioning the existence of wheeled vehicles at all. I'm thinking about carriages specifically. That is, like Jane Austen, right? Um, carriages. Yes. Uh, the party. At the party. Carriages. 
brought people away. Yes, exactly, Mad Violinist. After the party, Lobelia does travel in a carriage. What's that line? I can't remember it offhand. Uh, it's right before the, the wheelbarrows come to take away the people who have inadvertently remained behind, right? Um, let's see. Yes, about midnight carriages came for the important folk. That's the line. That's the line. One by one they rolled away, filled with full but very unsatisfied hobbits, and they're probably they're probably drawn by ponies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> JJ says we'd probably remember if we hadn't rushed through those early chapters. So true. Um Yep. Yep. Um even Frodo's Why Didn't I Drive? implies carriages, right? Okay, so so yes, so carriages are definitely a thing. Again, I, I get, my the question is not about we, wheeled vehicles, but carriages, those kinds of carriages, like you know, 18th and 19th century carriages, uh, the, the sort of the kind of enclosed carriages that that wealthy folk would use for standard transportation. Um, uh, so yes, yes, they do, they do have those. Hobbits ride those. That would be a normal thing. Um, so, uh, so, and, and yeah, Tony, I, I agree. It's definitely, it's definitely those kinds of carriages, right? Carriages came for the important folk. That's a, that's, that's very clear. Um, uh, absolutely. Okay, good. All right. Got it. Got we, glad we, uh, um, figured that one out. So, so yes, a, a slow coach is just a coach that travels very slowly. So therefore, yeah, it's just an insult. Um, Woolly-footed, right? He's a hobbit, right? So he has woolly feet. Um, he is making a joke about his feet. He's drawing attention to his feet, not as just necess- necessarily just an anti-hobbit racial slur or something like that, uh, but because, of course, he, he's alluding to his feet, which are not moving fast enough, right? Um, uh, so it makes sense that he would refer to his feet. Uh is this, you know, how are we supposed to feel about woolly-footed slowcoach? Well, it seems to me that Butterbur and Knob and Bob seem to have a, a quite uh, cheerful relationship, right? Is he giving Knob a heart? Is he insulting Knob? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, but we, we've seen insults like this a lot. Now, Butterbur is his boss, Right, coming, sir, coming. Um, just like Sam might have said. Um, even the fact that he's a cheery-looking hobbit, right, in response to this sort of insultive summoning, I, I, it, Blue Wizard, I do take it also as kind of gentle ribbing, right? I don't think that there's any hostility. I don't think Butterbur is mean to his, you know, to his employees. Um, uh, now, Tony, I do think that it is. Uh, I do think that it is interesting that his the only two employees that we see at the Prancing Pony um, are hobbits. Uh, this seems to be um, this seems to be an example of the two people's not keeping to themselves, right? Um, that he 
Butterbur would take on Hobbit servants is kind of interesting. Now, we could draw the the conclusion from that that there, you know, we could try to to project outwards from that and say that the relationship between humans and hobbits is like an upstairs downstairs relationship, right? That the that the hobbits look the humans look on hobbits as their inferiors and 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 their servants. I don't think that's just, I I'd have a hard time justifying that, right? Um extrapolating to that kind of social conclusion based on the fact that his uh, uh, the two servants at the pony are hobbits. Um, I, uh, I, I, I think that the evidence of the common room certainly all seems to be against that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Uh Ponton asks, is the landlord an employee? No, he owns it. That's why it's, it's, his name is on the sign. By Barlaman Butterbur, right? He's, he's, uh, he's, um, he's the one who, uh, who definitely is in charge. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Kimber, I agree. Both his cheeriness on arrival and his grin and wink on departure do suggest that the whole thing is really a good-natured uh, exchange. Um, I, I, I really can't think otherwise about that. Um, Nob's surprise, right? He comes in and seeing the travelers stops short and stares at them with great interest, right? And I do think someone was asking about this. Um, uh, uh, yes, Prothgar, yes. Does Nob stop short because there are four of them or because he immediately identifies them as not Bree hobbitry? The latter, I think, right? And he can tell that these are outlandish hobbits. And it's quite possible. I mean, has Nob ever seen hobbits in his life? I mean, I, I, other hobbits, right? Has he ever seen hobbits from the Shire, I mean, in his lifetime? Maybe. I guess it depends on how old Nob is, but he doesn't sound like he's very old, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Harnuth, I agree. Butterbur's deference, right? Good evening, little masters, and his, his, his you know, bending down to them and everything d- does suggest that he doesn't look down on hobbits, that, that um, you know, hobbits are not seen as second class in general by the Bree folk. Now, Butterbur's in the, in the hospitality industry, right? So he might act differently from your average Bree person, but I don't think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, Frumius Bujum, great name, is asking, is, you know, saying it seems possible that Butterbur hires hobbits to serve the hobbit guests and men to serve the men. It's possible. We never see him talking to or about any other, you know, man-sized employee. Argument from absence, right? We can't prove that he doesn't have any other employees. It doesn't show that it's definitely only the two of them. Um, but those are the only ones that we that we know of. Um, there probably is a cook for Thoughtless. I agree. Um, they, you know, the uh, Bob is clearly the ostler, right? He's the he 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 runs the stables. 
Bob is the one who has to find uh, space for the for their for their ponies, right? For the five ponies. Um, uh, Bob's or Nob's primary job seems to be running errands, right? Uh, Nob is the is the valet. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know if he's necessarily like a you know a personal valet, but he's he's definitely he's definitely running about. Um, certainly, Butterbur sending him on errands all the time, and Butterbur seems to wait tables himself. Um. Yeah, yeah. Who works the floor when Barliman is off duty? Lincoln, I'm not sure he ever is. When would he be off duty? Right? What, is, what does Butterbur take vacations? Where does he go? <laughs> right? They don't. They don't leave. Um. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's interesting, Hrothgar. Hrothgar is remembering that, of course, most of these hobbits are not only from out of town, but they're also wearing winter clothes. <laughs> right? They're overdressed. Uh. Uh, for the season, remember, because they lost their clothes in the barrow. Uh, that is interesting. So they probably look a little weird too. That's interesting. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Good. Um. All right. I should stop now. Um. Uh, you'll be wanting supper, I don't doubt, right? He clearly... It's not that they've never had hobbits in the inn before. He knows all about hobbits. Uh, and presumably they've have, they've had hobbits staying in their rooms, uh, but uh, but not... It's been a long time since they've had hobbits from the Shire. Um, yeah. Now, Alex, I agree. It would make sense to have human-sized employees as it would presumably be challenging... Uh, for the Hobbit employees to be making up the beds and things in the human-sized rooms, I can agree with that. Um, but, um, but yeah, we don't really we don't really uh, uh, see the full inner workings of the uh, the the staff of the Prancing Pony. Um, all right, let's um, let's let's start our field trip. So we're going to be. Um, uh, so okay, so we're gonna stop here. We will we'll join the common room. We'll join the company in the common room uh, next week. Will I be here next week? Yes, I'll be here next week. I will be here for the next two weeks, and then I'm off for another week after that. But anyway, okay. So we're gonna say uh, we're gonna say good night to the folks on Twitter. Uh, who have been joining us on Twitter. Thanks. I'll see you guys next week. Feel free to join us, twitch.tv slash SignumU, for our in-game field trip as we explore Bree. All right. Okay. Um, And we might even meet Strider next week, Lincoln. Who knows? Um, But uh, we're going to... So it's field trip time now. And of course, we're gonna we're gonna travel super far again. That is, we're still here in Bree Town. And we are going to be looking around... Uh, having having done the perimeter of Bree and looked around at the ruins of Bree and sort of thought about the history of Bree and its walls and stuff last time this time we're going to go through the middle of Bree and look at the town itself um <laughs> Rin Roos was just pointing out that there's a, st- a song before we meet Strider so uh yeah no I agree uh, we're not going to uh, we're not going to actually get to the conversation with Strider next time. Yeah, you're right. There's no chance of that. All right. Um, so you guys ready to travel? All right. Valoria, how's your voice holding out? 
doing pretty good. I've got a okay. good rest in. <laughs> That's good. Good. Glad you're feeling better this week. Yes, I am. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's head out. It is field right. trip time. I'm, I'm so excited. I I freaking love the prancing pony. <laughs> the prancing pony is... I agree. I think the prancing pony is very well done. I, I used to do figure painting when I was a kid. My dad had all these uh, vintage Star Wars pieces, and uh, he'd let me and my brother practice painting them so we could learn how to do figure painting. And... Uh, my first set that I actually bought was in uh, Prance, was Prancing Pony. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's uh, cool. Oh, got kicked off. Okay, let me close some of these. That hasn't happened in a while. All right, so I'm going to start outside the gate. Sure. I start outside the west gate. Just a few. Okay, so we can come in... Uh, so we can come in like... The hobbits did. And say hi to Gary, Harry Goatleaf. That's right. Now I guess it's. Well, I was going to say it's it's not nighttime, but of course sometimes it is, and he's still always there. Um, we do. This is. He needs like a union or something. He's got terrible hours. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Um, so this little hutment outside the gate is the, the house that they refer to, right? When Harry goes back to his house um, and he's outside the gate. So remember when it said that uh, uh, they felt relieved when they heard the gate clang behind them, right? Remember in, um, uh, in the movie, the gatekeeper is inside the gate, right? Yeah. Uh, like and, look at, looking through the what's the password kind of window there. Exactly, right. And he lets them in uh, in the gate. That does not seem to be the way that uh, it's described. He's outside the gate and he has a little... So, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the Lotro guys have this exactly right here. Um, yeah. That there's a little gatekeeper's house next to the gate so that when the gate clo- so though the gate would be standing closed at night which of course you know the west gate's open all the time in Lotro but um, the gate would be closed at night so he would have opened the gate for them and then closed it again behind them after they came in so that when the gate closed they're not only grateful you know they're not just grateful because the door is closed between them and the wilds um, but the door is closed between them and Harry Goatleaf right and yeah. that's why and that's why they're relieved um, so these gates I find really interesting though, cause it mm-hmm. do, are they openable? I mean, uh, obviously we never see the full gates open, but do they, I guess they do have hinges. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. The full big doors have hinges. Yeah. So conceivably like a, an army could march through there, like supposedly the high king some point right. to be able to march in and right. out with yeah. his entourage. So they do have, uh, you know, they, they have the gates of Brie, which can accommodate, um, you know, which can accommodate, uh, you know, full opening and, and therefore a large, uh, a large crowd coming in or out of Brie. Um, <laughs> okay. So when we come in, it's interesting actually to me that they leave this so kind of open we don't really get tall houses crowding against the street until we get a little bit in, right? Like up here. This is the uh-huh. 
This is the sort of view that I'm imagining from Sam's point of view, standing here and looking up at the three-story houses, right? There's a... Uh-huh. Okay, well, this one over here is only two stories, but still. So there's one two-story house and one three-story house. So here are these, you know, the kind of the the whole city mouse effect, right? Combined with the Jack and the Beanstalk effect of, of you know, being a hobbit here, l- looking up at these tall buildings towering on either side of you. Um uh-huh. But again, I, I do find it a little bit interesting that they don't go for that effect right inside the gate, right inside the gate, even with this tree on the side right here. It's much more open, in part, of course, because you have the stables. Um, uh, Druid's Fire is saying it used to be more crowded uh, in Bree 1.0. Of course, I don't remember this area looking much different. I mean, I remember before the uh, the beautification happened. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't change the fundamental layout of the streets or anything. But. Anyway. Um, so here we're following the East Gate, or the East Road, rather. Um, you know, which came in through the crossroads, and then and then on up, you can see the difference, right? You look at the side streets. Um, yeah. They're similar, right? I mean, like, they have the same cobbling and everything, even the little uh, road up the hill here and the larger road up to the other gate. Um, but it's still very clear that this is the main road. This is the this is the this by far the widest road. Um, yeah. I really like the the sort of Tudor style of the, <laughs> the wooden houses here, how they make the, yeah. the basic style the of timbers. yeah, Brie houses sort yeah. of you know, old English style. It looks like Oxford yeah. in many cases. Yeah, it does. It does. This would have been like the streets that Tolkien walked up and down around the college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fewer walls. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, because all the colleges are, are walled. I, I, the streets are wider, too. It's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, the streets of Oxford are completely covered in tour tour buses right now. But. Well, that's true. But even if the, like the the even if you were to go down the street, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get much more than a bicycle down the road. Right. Right. Okay. We have uh, 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 the sound of merriment here from outside the prancing pony. Oh, uh, just as we're approaching the end, just like in the book. <laughs> exactly. Just as we're approaching, approaching the end. Hang on, I'm gonna. Uh, just going to change my audio settings here because yeah, yeah, it's cool. I don't want to compete with the player. I don't want to have to shout over the player music the whole time because I want to, of course, spend some time here in the courtyard. Um, it is explaining why the lag is affecting me as much. Right, right. Okay, so here's the stable yard. So they would have ridden up the hill here uh-huh. uh, and they would have, you know, parked their, their ponies over here and they just left their ponies <laughs> in the courtyard. Uh, you know, trusting I'm that there'd be like a hitching post. There'd probably be a, a hitching post for them to tie their horses to before they were stabled, because they yeah. would have to ask permission. Exactly right. Yeah, they, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't st- stable their own ponies. Um, uh, but you know, but they would leave them for the ostler to take care of. So that that well, that was Nob's job. Remember? That yeah. Was, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. What Nob was supposed to go tell Bob to find the stabling for them. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I get the knobs and the bobs mixed up. It's <laughs> easy to do. It's very easy to do. Now, um, one of the things that is really interesting about this, and we talked about this before, if we look at the Breetown map, um, they keep the overall shape, right? The road comes in and then it 
curves around to the right, uh, and the the pony is set into the side of the hill, right? And we can see it's there's the hill looming up right behind it, right set in the side of the hill, and then the road continues on down to the south. Um, however, you know the main difference, as we discussed before, and as you know, my theory is due chiefly to the scale issues, right? We don't get the the, the sense in the uh, the sense in the game would seem to be, or the sense in the book rather, would seem to be that most of the town is up on the hill behind the prancing pony, right? Yes. Uh, so I, whereas here, almost all of the town, and we can see Bri- the prancing pony. Uh, on the map is in the far northeastern corner uh, of Bree Town. There's really nothing above and behind it. You know, we were that's exactly the part of the hill that we were up on. As we can see, just see the ruins of the Numenorean, what looked like a former Numenorean watchtower up there uh, that we were examining when we were looking at Bree Hill and the overall geography on the first day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems to be a change that they've made, though. What I what I really kind of like about it is that one of the one of the sort of effects of the geographical choice they've made is that the prancing pony, other than the you know some of those outlying hobbit holes and stuff over there, um, the prancing pony is is the the highest point in Bree. Right, all of the roads go you know go down um, rather rather sharply from here, and there is no other place that's higher than the prancing pony. Uh, it really gives the prancing pony a, a kind of prominence. Um, in the town, which I think is which I think is pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, let's see. So, uh, you know, the, when you start out, there's that instant too in defense of the prancing pony, and yes. it really does make sense that this would be the place that's uh, defended. Right. <laughs> being on the top of the hill like that. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. So here we have the pony. Now you can see how it would be very intimidating, right? I mean, well, again, we have a three-story structure, um, even more, right? Little towers and, and garrets up there on what seems to be a fourth story. Um, yep. we got the two wings. I like the expansion, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that too. Um, we got more stabling back here. The, this kind of looks like overflow stabling, doesn't it? Um, this actually might be where they're hitched before they're stabled. Right. Right. So, so yeah, th- right. Yeah. It does look like that actually. And, uh, this would be, and, and hospitably so, right. There are water troughs and, uh, and some hay troughs right here so that, you know, you're, you're, you're you could water your horses while they were waiting to be stabled. Or if you're just getting a quick pint. <laughs> right. Right. And there's, as, as this horse of course is still, uh, still connected to its wagon, right? Um, and he's getting brushed down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then these guys, again, hitching posts back here. Um, this really does seem to accommodate the amount of horses that this place would see, though. <laughs> yeah. Now, we don't get the effect of the second-story windows here, right? They do make it set up against the hill, but they do mm-hmm. make it structurally independent of the hill. Though we can yeah, see the round yeah, windows. Liberty with the phrase set up. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we can see the round windows on the ground floor, right? Not all the way around, but, uh, but in places where you can see that some of the, of the rooms are, are hobbit rooms. Um, hey, where's Nob? Nob's around here, isn't he? I think he went inside. 
he was out here earlier, yeah. Oh, okay, he he, he went back in time? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, we'll have to find him. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, this is one of those things, you know, the prancing pony, and there's the fat pony rearing up on its legs and not looking very intimidating. Uh, oh, there's a festival grounds horse here that didn't used to be there. <laughs> right. Right. And a fountain outside, and here's my... Now this... The, the fountain does seem to be counterintuitive, though, because that's where you'd get some free water before going in and asking for something you'd pay for. Right. Well, I mean, but of course you wouldn't be drinking water. I mean, who would drink oh, water? Would. No, that's what the fountains were for also. The yeah. Or actually, sometimes there'd be tin cups there for people to use. Well, sure, but why would you drink? I'm, I'm saying, like, when there's the beer right there, why? I mean, who's going to... Anyone who would pass up the... it's free. <laughs> oh, but it's water, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you know water already, cold, you may free, pour it need. I'll drink enough to last the week, you know? <laughs> water cold, you may pour it need down a thirsty throat and be glad indeed. <laughs> but better is beer if drink we lack. I mean, that's that's very clear. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I got that more dwarven sensibility of not wanting to spend <laughs> a copper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's head inside. All right. So, yeah, as I was saying, when I was a kid, I was making models, and I, my dad had me practice on Star Wars models, but my first one that he bought for me was a diorama of the Prancing Pony. Yeah, that's cool. And I like I painted, I had, like, Knob was chasing, like, a, a stray dog out of the, the building, and, you know, all the Hobbit, you had one of them dancing on the table, you had two drunk men dancing in the corner, and Bill Fernie looking all <laughs> shady, and, but it didn't have Barlam and Butterbur. I couldn't oh, get that piece. So right. what I ended up using was the uh, the bar owner from the cantina. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We don't serve your kind in here. <laughs> <laughs> Almost exactly the same. Okay, so so here here's Butterbur. Hang on, yeah, I want to run around the back too and see. I, I, I want to see full length Butterbur here. Okay, all right. He's uh, he looks a little seedier than I might have expected. His, yeah, his, it doesn't look so clean or. or yeah, I think it's the it's the low cut shirt. He looks like your creepy seventies uncle. Yes, yes, the low cut shirt with the chest hair. I agree. That's yeah. that that does, uh, kind of change the whole and the sideburns. Frankly, you yeah. know uh, that 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 combination, mustache, sideburns, chest hair is, uh, it's yeah. it's not a great look. Yeah, that's the showing up drunk to your niece's first communion kind of hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing I have to say that I get a little that I'm I'm a little disappointed. I, I found Butterbur a little bit disappointing, mostly because he just stays here. Now, like I get the fact that a lot of quests go through him and stuff, so having him be in a place where you can always find him is useful from a. Well, from a g- gameplay, so, it'd be so immersive to have to catch him at a good time. Exactly right. If your if your if your interactions with um, uh, with Butterbird included a lot of you know half a minute if you please, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I he yeah he doesn't really seem happy. Exactly. Yeah. Gosh, from the front, the, from the front, he looks even more untrustworthy. Yeah, but also look at the inside. That's 
business is clearly not booming in here now. Yeah, he's a little. It's yeah, things are things not have as gone good south as the, since the hobbits left. You yes, know? yes, they seem to have. Uh, though he would clearly like to see a party of this size uh, uh, show up uh, on any given night. But anyway, yeah, I really kind of. I really kind of wish that Butterbur were walking around really fast. That would be, yeah. uh, that would be kind of cool and annoying. I'm sure I'd get really sick of it when I was doing Breland quests and trying to turn them in. But uh, but still, I think I would sacrifice convenience. Couldn't be more annoying than that one guy on the Salamander Island. Ah, uh, he, he wins the prize for most annoying NPC. Yes, I hear it. I I I I know the one you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you can hear people slapping him all through the the land there. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, okay. Let's look around a little bit here. We're in the common room now. We haven't made it to the common room in in the book yet. So you know we'll have to maybe think about this a little bit more after we get here. For another day, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll come back here. Um. Where in Nob and Bob? Let's see. I'm really terrified to turn my names on right now. Right. Yeah, me too. Uh, let's see what we can find uh, here. Is one of them in the kitchen? One of them might be in the kitchen. I'm not sure. Let's see. We've got a drunkard. That's a little harsh. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's a townsperson. Hmm. Uh, I want to. I want to think maybe back in the kitchen or something. There's cranky southerner. Oh, growling southerner. Sorry. Yes, the growling southerner, um, who is not explicitly squint-eyed. Yes, of course, the Growling Southerner is important because he's a, he's an important landmark, you know. Uh-huh. Come up and turn left at the Growling Southerner in order to get, you know, oh, where yeah, you need yeah, to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's the only way I can navigate this place. Absolutely. In fact, Well, I, he's not in the kitchen. I've almost never even come in here. Not for a long time, anyway. Just kind of breezed past the Growling Southerner. Yeah. Well, it's because we're always on the way to Gandalf for Strider's room. Exactly. Exactly. Where's over here? Is this just outside? Oh, yeah, this is outside. Is probably. Dora? Probably near the horses again. Right. Oh, there's a ranger over here. Let me think. Maybe Nob or Bob are back outside again. And uh, do we get Bob's cat? Uh, there's a cat on the chair by the fireplace as you first enter. Ah, okay. That I, might be their I, cat. I gotta find Bob's cat. Let's see. By the fire? Of course. Yeah, by the fire at the sense. front near Parliament. Aha. Cat. There, there it yep. is. He would have a cat named Cat. Right, yes. Alright, so that's probably Bob's cat. Probably. Who still needs to be learned the fiddle? Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, Sam, Bob is in the Barrow Downs? Oh, you're right, he is. Wait, Bob is Lelia's dad? How did I never know that? Was I so busy being annoyed at Lelia that I forgot you're that right. she was Bob's daughter? You're right. It would. It would. They did make it Bob's daughter. Wow. Gosh, okay. totally forgot that. I did. I, I, it has been a long time since I did the completionist Brie. Well, it's like in, in it made sense in the game, but in the book, I always think of Bob as like a very young hobbit. Um, yeah, Bob, uh, you know, later on is going to go home to his parents. Now, that doesn't prove that he's very young. Um, no, could be could be taking care of them. Right, they could be. Right, hey, there's Nob. Oh, there we are. Oh, he's getting water. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah taking the special hobbit boy he is a slow coach look at this yeah come on you're on payroll man exactly look at this I'm walking and I I walk like three times as fast as Nob yeah boy okay oh I'm thinking I'm thinking of Dob Dob is the one who's out here he's the one wanting you to get the the pack ah right yeah, the, the where the giant right, the giant that we met and killed several dozen times a few weeks back. He was asking for it. Okay, no, what, where's Nob coming with the water? Uh, is he taking it back to like for the washing up or something? Yeah, probably. That's the Hobbit entrance. It maybe is. Maybe he's Hobbit filling. Entrance. Maybe he's filling some wash stands. Let's see, Nob. All right, let's go. All right, where is he taking this? Uh, oh, did he vanish? Did he turn on he the afterburners vanish. when he got inside? Oh, Maybe. man. I guess he's fast when he wants to be. I guess so. Yeah. So, yes, these are these are where people are staying. So I'm assuming he's taking the water to, like, some wash stands and wash basins or something. Probably. Oh, look, there's the Growling Southerner. Mm-hmm. Now, this, I assume, is the kind of parlor where they would have been... In, into which they were ushered, right, when they, when they came in. In fact, it looks like it could be the very parlor, as we have four chairs and yeah. four mugs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. Cool, yeah, Druid's Fire suggests that Nob is clearly a hobbit burglar. Yeah, he he just came in and then (laughs) absolutely gave us the slip. Master of his trade. He's like, why are there 50 people following me? (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'm just getting the water. Leave me alone. Yeah. He gave us the slip by some fox trick. Uh, well. I'm sure Barlam and Butterbur would chalk that down to a personality flaw. Yeah. You're right, Katriana. We do have human-sized furniture through pretty much the whole, um, you know, the whole inn that we were seeing there. You can see that uh-huh. it's principally a human inn. 
right? Um, and that's how Barwoman in the book talks about it, right? It's it's like a it, it is a human inn which has been designed to accommodate hobbits as well, um, but it's not primarily or first and foremost a, a hobbit inn. But um, as you can see, there was enough call for it that you know he made architectural changes to the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. All right. Well, let's continue down to the south. Let's follow the main road here. Um, and it's interesting. Notice that the road is already narrower here. This is, you know, this is still the main road, as we can see. We, you know, it takes a turn and, and heads south from here. Um, but you can see the road from the west to the inn is uh, much larger, you know, than the road... Uh, than the road down south, which is which is interesting. Here's one of the main squares. Now, the it's, market square is the market square. Yeah, it's getting late already, so we'll we'll, we'll look at the sort of the rest of Brown. Of course, focus on the prancing pony and uh, uh, follow the road here tonight. Uh, look at the major book sites. Next time, what I would like to do is to look around kind of the rest of Bree Town and look at the way in which. Uh, the game has sort of envisioned the culture and, you know, like economy of Brie, right? And history of Brie, uh, based on how they depict the town, because that's a really, a really fun kind of world building moment uh, that they get here. But so let's just follow the follow the road down south. We'll get to the south gate, uh, and that that'll be it for tonight, I think. Because again, it is getting late, and I I know I've been uh, I've been guilty of uh, keeping people later and later all the time and I don't want to I don't want to continue <laughs> that trend indefinitely. Okay, so here's the town hall, right? Very interesting. Mhm. And again, yeah, you notice down here on in this part of town, it was very clear which was the main drag, you know, between the west gate and the prancing pony. Down here, like if you were approaching it from this direction, you've got the road to the left and the road to the right and it is not at all obvious which one is the main road, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And here's the <laughs> all roads lead to the end. Exactly. Here's the jail, mm-hmm. which is interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about the Breetown Jail next time. The Gothic windows are still confusing to me. Yeah. Of course, on the way to the South Gate. We get an important landmark. Uh-huh. Uh, Bill Fernie's house. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're not going to get to Bill Fernie's house for weeks and weeks, but um, uh, we can see this small, ill-kept house. I right, just noticed that that window in that house up there on the hill had a woman leaning out and for a while. Yeah. She walked away. There she's back. There, yeah. Yeah. I've I've been very impressed by some of those little additions at the. Wow. That's very cool, especially since, of course, this is the South Road where uh, Strider and the Hobbits are going to be walking through, and all the town is going to turn out to see them. So it's interesting that they have included (laughs) that detail of a woman looking out from an upper window to look at the people approaching the South Gate here. There's a couple of, I think there's a couple of them in various places, and you got to look for them too because they'll go in and out too. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah. All right, and here is the South Gate. As we, hang on, do they have? A, okay, no, they do. All right, here's the the guard and the guard's little house outside the South Gate. And a rain shelter. That's right. And of course, he seems we, far more prepared for it on this side, though. He's got his sword and his shield and all that stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He's not like Harry, just leaning against the wall. Look, there are two guards down here. Yeah, this side is obviously more heavily protected. That's interesting. And it's and 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 there's fewer undead on this side, you would think, but <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, at, the same, at the same time, it sort of tells you their attitude of what they think is going to be coming from the the Hobbit side of the the Hobbit side of the town, and what's coming from the the Loneland side of the town. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, in general, uh, between east and west, it's east that that you clearly worry about more, right? Mm-hmm. Good reason. E- yeah. Even with the old forest and the Barrow Downs there, uh, you'd think, though, based on the stories. Stuff in the Barrow Downs and and the Old Forest is, I mean, that stuff's dangerous, but it's uh, it pretty much stays put, right? Stay out of the Barrow Downs, and you're not going to be bothered. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. It's, it's, you get the feeling the townspeople are like, well, just don't go there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Problem solved. Yeah. yeah what kind cool. of moron are you? <laughs> exactly. Don't <would> go there. <laughs> exactly. All right. So next week we will uh, we will explore more of Bree, see the layout and the history that we uh, um, that we get as far as um, as far as we can go, um, and uh, and then we'll continue around and look at the and start to spread outwards. Look at some of the other villages. Look at Staddle and Coombe and see uh, uh, see what they're doing uh, down in those places. Um, we uh we have a couple chapters here in the Prancing Pony, so we'll have plenty of time to explore the Breland and and uh, see the kinds of stories that they're uh, putting into place here. So that'll be cool. Thanks Fantastic. everybody for joining me here this evening. Uh and uh, I will see you guys. I said I will definitely be here next week. So look forward to seeing you guys next week. Uh and uh and uh, have a good week, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.